On today's episode, how the story of a missing young woman sparked a passion in my first guest that led her to start a nonprofit with her sister-in-law that eventually secured national media coverage, including an interview on the talk show, The View. So it started to grow legs, but it started at the local level. And then it, you know, consistently grew to the national level. And then Whoopi Goldberg heard about the organization. And later in the show, we're talking with Dr. Curling Neely about imposter syndrome and what to do about it. And so the imposter syndrome is something that a lot of highly successful people deal with. And so this is a feeling that I'm highly successful. I have the degrees. I've done the thing, but I'm waiting to be found out. I'm waiting that somebody's going to go, wait a minute. You know what? Joy, she's really not that good. Or wait a minute. A Curleen, you know what? Yeah, she got this PhD, but you know, I don't think she's really that smart because we believe that. So we're always waiting to be found out. Welcome to the Joy Sutton Show, where it's all about joyful conversations to inspire your life. When you show up in the world as the best version of yourself, you give other women the inspiration, courage, and permission to do the same. It's my time to take care of me. What made you think you could do it in your 50s? You know, I didn't think I could do it, to be honest with you. I was scared to death. We are all on our own journeys, but we can do this together. And there's something powerful about sharing our stories and the wisdom we've learned along the way. So let's dive into today's conversation and get to living our best lives. You have to step out on faith. You have to take the first step and go for it. Sometimes we find our calling in life through a desire to help others or to solve a problem in our community. When Natalie Wilson realized that so many people of color were going missing, but no one was really talking about it, she knew she had to take action. And within months, she co-founded the Black and Missing Foundation. There was a young lady by the name of Tamika Houston who went missing from my sister-in-law's hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina. And we read, we learned that her family really struggled to get any type of media coverage. And that young lady was so beautiful. And we couldn't understand why the local media wouldn't cover her story, nor the national media outlets. A little while later, Natalie Holloway went missing and just saying her name alone, everyone knows who she is. And she dominated the news. So we decided to do some research to see if this is an issue in our community. Are people disappearing at all? And at the time, we learned that 30% of all persons missing were of color. So we decided, Derek and I decided, why should we wait for someone else to help find or bring awareness to our missing? I'm in public relations, Derek is in law enforcement, and those are the two critical professions needed to help us find us. So that's how we started the organization. And once we started, we realized that so many people needed our help. And they would say to us, you are our last resort. You know, the media isn't covering the story. Law enforcement isn't taking um, the police report. So today, 12 years later, 40% of all persons missing are people of color. And that's the, the thing that's alarming, reported missing, because I'm sure there are so many more who aren't reported. And we have to bring awareness to these individuals. And most of the times it's through social media or through media. 
But how did you know that you were meant to do this? Like, how did you, you know, many of us see things or we see problems or, you know, we know there are things going on in our community, but how did you know this is what I'm supposed to do? I just felt it. You know, when I looked at these individuals that are missing, I felt compassion. I felt felt compassion for their families. Um, These are mothers. These are fathers. These are children and grandparents. And I know that if I'm missing or my loved one's missing, I would want someone to utilize their resource to help find me or bring awareness to my disappearance. You know, we can no longer just turn a blind eye. And I'm just such a compassionate person and I always want to help. So there's no way I could not use my experience in media relations for these individuals who who are desperate to find their missing loved one. And so from the moment you had that feeling of empathy, like, I feel like I'm meant to do something. And you got with your sister-in-law and she said, I have the law enforcement background. You have the PR background. Let's do this. How long did it take you to go from just this idea to really becoming the foundation and to getting to the point where you were actually helping us find us? Actually, it didn't take very long at all. And now I'm realizing that that is our life's work because everything aligned. We, you know, registered to become a nonprofit. We found a marketing person to create the website or the clearinghouse and everything just seemed to align. However, Natalie would soon learn that getting media coverage for the families would be a struggle, but she refused to let it deter her and eventually landed a cover story in a local newspaper. And things just took off from there. So it started to grow legs, but it started at the local level. And then it, you know, consistently grew to the national level. And then Whoopi Goldberg heard about the organization and she believed that there was an issue in our community. And she reached out and said, you know, do you have a profile that I can assist with? And I'll, I'll just tell you the power of national media coverage. Once we were on The View and the story ran, Within 14 minutes of that story running, we received a tip that led directly to that missing young lady. So that's the power of national media coverage. 14 minutes after it aired. Wow. Yes. So definitely media coverage is is needed. It's vital. And the thing about it is The View is really just one of the large opportunities Since then, you've had opportunities, like you mentioned, Essence, Huffington Post, CNN, and even most recently, a really big opportunity with a television show. Tell me about that. So we had two opportunities. One was with The Shy and the other was with Insecure. So this last season, both of them had backstories about a missing individual. So reached out to the producers and the cast. I mean, I think I was sending emails and DMs to everyone and didn't think anyone, you know, took notice. And then finally got an email back saying, you know what, we love the work that you all are doing and we want to shine a spotlight on your organization. And of course I was screaming because both of them did PSAs for the organization and Insecure, they donated 
$30,000 to the organization. So it, those were amazing opportunities and platforms to continue the mission or the work of the organization. So again, you know, everything seemed to align. It didn't get there, you know, by itself, of course, putting in the hard work and networking and calling and following up and being tenacious and persevering and, and to see how far we've come. Of course, we, you know, still have a long way to go, but we're utilizing all our platforms to just bring awareness to this issue. And in the 12 years that you've been doing this, how many families have you been able to help? So we have helped thousands of families, but we have been able to provide closure or to help find over 300 people. And I'm grateful for that. But I think that, you know, we can do so much more if we have as we continue to grow and create more opportunities. Because what I haven't mentioned to you is that I still have a full-time job and Black and Missing. And then I also have um, a PR company that I have just launched. So all of these things, you know, it's, it's, it's aligned and it's, and it's all coming together. Well, I love that because, you know, that passion that you had for your foundation that you co-founded, the Black and Missing Foundation, and all that you've done, you're now taking that same passion to help other nonprofits. So like you said, it's coming full circle. When did you realize that the work you did for, you know, the Black and Missing Foundation, that this was even bigger than that and that you needed to help other nonprofits get their message out as well? When did that happen for you? You know, it happened when um, we were honored with the Black Girls Rock Community Change Agent Awards. And so many people were inspired by our stories and they wanted to know how can they help? They have a passion as well and they want to create a nonprofit. And I said, you know, and they're asking, well, how did you get media coverage? And it's so second nature to me. And I, you know, I do it. I can close my eyes and, and get the coverage and, and pitch the stories. And then I realized that I want to also help other people realize their passion. So that's the impetus of it. You know, just, just the feedback that I've heard and people wanting to make a difference, even in this present, you know, social and racial climate, people want to use their passion and their voice to make a difference, but they just don't know how to do it. Do you ever sit back and go, oh my gosh, this is this all was sparked from this one situation that you saw a passion for, like you started just wanting to help. And now it's just blossomed into this, you know, wow, national organization. And also now your, you know, boutique PR agency. Like, did you ever imagine that this is where you would be just from having the desire to make a difference in that one area? You know what? I never imagined it, but they always say God dreams a bigger dream for you than you can ever dream for yourself. And I do a lot of self-reflections and I've realized at, an, at a young age, I've always been compassionate. I've always given up myself. I've always wanted to see the underdog just, you know, just kick ass. If, if I can say that on. <laughs> <laughs> you can say that. That's fine. <laughs> okay. 
And that has always been a part of me. That's who I am. I want to help other people realize their dream and succeed. That's so huge. And I love the mission that you're on, you know, and it's amazing, you know, when people are thinking about how do we get into our calling and our purpose and what we're supposed to do and you even being able to be reflective and say, as a young girl, I always had this. It was always there. It was just waiting for the opportunity to match up with that. And just to see everything you're doing is so powerful. So if there was a woman who was listening today And maybe she has a passion. It may not be a nonprofit or anything like that. But what would be your advice in just moving forward? Because it seems like you and your sister-in-law, Derek, were fearless. You're like, this is a problem. We need to do it. And let's go. So what would you say? What I've realized throughout the years is that all of the resources that we need to get it done, we already hold it in our hands. Like, when we started the organization, I was so ready to help. And I was sitting there trying to figure out, you know, who do I know? And I realized I may not have known, you know, a certain person, but I knew someone who knew that person. So everything that I needed, I already had within me. It was just a matter of tapping into that and being brave enough to do it. What Natalie just said resonated with me. What would happen if we all stood up to solve problems in our community? It's powerful to even think about. And something even more powerful? What if it's your life's calling? We just have to be brave enough to do it. Really something to ponder this week. To learn more about the Black and Missing Foundation and Natalie's PR agency, NWR Communications Group, please visit the show notes. Are you a coach, consultant, entrepreneur, or author who wants to own your stage and embrace the spotlight? Through my She Shines Academy, I will show you how to nail your first or next media interview. To learn more, check out the show notes or go to thejoysutton.com. the Coach's Corner, we're shifting from coaching to therapy for this segment with Dr. Curleen Neely about a problem that keeps many of us from going after our dreams. Dr. Neely says that in her 20 plus years as a licensed professional counselor, one of the biggest obstacles people face is feeling they are enough, which ultimately impacts every area of their life. And so you can imagine, I'm talking to people who have depression, schizophrenia, you name it, bipolar disorder. But when we pull those things back, when we really pull back whatever you're struggling with, if at the core you don't feel like you're enough, it exacerbates everything else. It just kind of takes it to another level. Um, And even in marriages, I I work with uh, couples as well. So people will come in and they're thinking, okay, I'm mad at him for this or I'm mad at her for this. But as we start to really dig, a lot of it goes back to if I feel like I'm not enough, then I'm going to be more needy. Then I'm going to be more desperate. Then I'm going to be like, well, why didn't you compliment me in my jeans? Don't I look good? And, you know, just almost really searching for validation when that validation should really come from within joy. So what do you usually tell people is a telltale sign to themselves that 
this is a self-esteem issue. Because sometimes, like you said, you have people who come into your office and they're thinking, well, he just didn't compliment me. My husband didn't compliment me in my jeans or he doesn't he doesn't validate me. So what are usually that sign to someone that I'm struggling with my self-image, my self-confidence and feeling enough? It really goes back to something really simple. It's our self-talk is what do you say to yourself when no one's around? What do you say when you pass by that mirror? What do you say when you know you look and the hair isn't looking the way you want it to look? It's that self-talk. And if that self-talk is more on the side of, oh my gosh, you look ugly today. You're, you, you look fat in that dress. You, know, oh, you should have known better. You're not smart enough. You should have done better. If that self-talk is on that end of it, then you know that your self-esteem, your confidence is going to follow. What you think And what you say to yourself translates into how you show up in the world. It really does. As simple as it sounds, it is your self-talk. You know what's interesting? I remember somebody saying that you believe more about what you say about yourself than what anybody else says. Do you find that to be true as well? Yes, because come on, we're saying it over and over and over again, right? So there's something called um, negative bias. And what this is, is that um, say, for instance, your boss comes to you and your boss says, you know, Joy, um, you've done a great job on A, B, and C, but there's an area of improvement. We tend to remember that one thing, even though this person has told you, you were all that in a bag of chips, you leave the office thinking, "Well, well, oh my gosh, well, why did he say this about that? And so we tend to gravitate because of this thing called negative bias. It's kind of the way our brain works, almost like a protection to, I'm going to make you remember that so you don't get hurt, so you don't, you know how to protect yourself. And so it works the same way in terms of our self-talk because we're doing it all day long. I don't care how many times people tell you you're cute or how many times someone says you're amazing. If Because that self-talk is, is bigger, it's like 80% and the other percent is you know maybe the outside world. That's why we tend to be more affected. So what happens, Dr. Neely, if you don't address it? Is it something that will just get better on its own? Is it something that you see people, if they don't start looking at it, that it just becomes more and more ingrained in their everyday life? And then it just, like you said, puts them to a point that they're they're stuck? So, yes. So I think that, you know, you can live and not address it. Let's let, let's be real. This is not like you have cancer. But what you will find is that you will be limited, especially in your relationships. You'll, you know, date the same person over and over again and wonder, OK, how do I have a sign on my head that just says if you just don't want to be committed and you know want to take advantage of somebody, come see me. You'll see that you'll find that your career is stagnant. You'll find that, you know, you are successful. You're getting there, but you can't really get to the level that you want. So this has great impact on us. It is not something that is you know, small. It shows up in these really, really, really big ways. And how is that connected in some way to the imposter syndrome? You know, we hear about that, that term, like imposter syndrome. How, what is that? Because we hear a lot about it, but how does that relate to that not feeling good enough and connecting it to that imposter syndrome? So, It is at the core of the imposter syndrome. And so the imposter syndrome is something that a lot of highly successful people deal with. And so this is a feeling that I'm highly successful. I have the degrees. I've done the thing, but I'm waiting to be found out. I'm waiting that somebody's going to go, wait a minute. You know what? Joy, she's really not that good. Or wait a minute. uh, Curleen, you know what? Yeah, she got this PhD, but, you know, I don't think she's really that smart. 
because we believe that. So we're always waiting to be found out. And so that waiting to be found out makes us overcompensate, makes us scared, makes us say uh, yes when we should say no many times, especially when it comes to negotiating salaries or negotiating business deals, because you lack that value and that imposter syndrome is on, you'll settle for less pay. Um, women, especially, and we know that there there is a discrepancy in between, you know, how much women earn, and we've heard that a lot of it goes back to us not asking. Sometimes that we just don't ask for more because that self talk is that, well, I've only been doing this X amount of time. Where males will walk in that room and they could have been doing it two minutes, and they're like, I deserve, you know, all the money. <laughs> and we'll see where women um, tend to struggle with this. So. It really does impact so many aspects of our life. And so imposter syndrome at the core, self-esteem, confidence, overthinking, which ultimately leads to anxiety. Why does it lead to anxiety? That's interesting that you you made that connection to anxiety. I never really thought about it on that level. Yeah, because think about it, right? So anxiety, that kind of you know overproduction of thought. If you are already not confident, if you're already doubting yourself, if you're questioning whether you're good enough, you're going to overthink. And what is going to happen? You're going to find yourself having anxiety. You're going to find yourself having those moments where your heart is racing, maybe even having panic attacks, feeling lightheaded. Anxiety is a medical condition that really comes out of this lack of confidence, especially when it's kind of left untreated for long periods of times. And you know in your head you want more. So you're overthinking it, trying to figure out how to get there. The anxiety takes over. Your body kind of lets you know, hey, something's wrong here. You're really a big, strong advocate for mental health and talking about mental health and getting couch time and really delving into issues. And I think many people don't even look at self-esteem or I am enough as like a mental health issue, but it really at the core is. Can you address that? <laughs> yes, it is a mental health issue. And to be honest, a lot of people don't know this, but we diagnose that. That is in our what's called our diagnostic manual, our DSM, that sometimes people come in and they're seeing me. And if you look at treatment, the treatment isn't necessarily depression. The treatment isn't necessarily, you know, bipolar disorder. The treatment is anxiety and it is um, self-esteem because it is such a, a big thing. And we know it impacts all these other areas of your life. You mentioned couch time and I got a little excited. Um, so we, Joy, get help for everything else. Every six months, I go to the dentist. Once a year, I go get my mammogram. I already know those things ahead of time. I'm going to go check in, not because I'm feeling a lump or not because I, my tooth is aching, but because I don't want it to get there. But yet mental health is the only thing that we have been kind of trained to believe we got to wait till the wheels are falling off. So by the time somebody comes in my office, it's been 5, 10, 15, 20 years of dealing with whatever. And so my thing that I'm really trying to push and hopefully have a national initiative around is why don't we treat our mental health the same way we treat our physical health? And when someone comes to you for help, I know one of the things you talk about, and you actually have the backstory breakthrough method. I know one of the things you really try to deal with is that backstory. Why is that backstory? And we talked about it early on, but why is your backstory so critical to begin unpacking and to deal with? So your backstory is the foundation by which everything else is built, whether that backstory 
of relationships, of family, the backstory of your achievement, everything else is built upon that. Your self-talk comes directly from that. And so a lot of times we've had trauma in our backstory that we haven't dealt with. Um, people have suffered from sexual abuse trauma. People have suffered from just, you know, maybe having a, a parent that was absent in some way, made them feel a certain way. And we grow up and we think we're okay. But because that trauma was there, it changes how we think and how we act and we behave. And we never knew why. We just knew that, well, I just don't, you know, I cut people off like that. People will say that to me a lot. I just don't take anything. And I cut people off like that. But guess what? All these years you've been cutting people off like that. You've also been cutting off people coming into your life that needed to come in. And, you know, sometimes we'll trace that story back and we'll realize, well, I learned to do that because it was painful that my dad didn't show up. So I started to just cut people off. That way I didn't have to feel that pain. I didn't have to feel that hurt. So the backstory breakthrough method, we really unpack it. We go back, we peel that onion. That's the first step. And I mean, we peel the onion. We go deep. You start making those connections in terms of where the trauma happened and how do you heal from that? Trauma. You know, a lot of people think, well, I've never been raped or abused, so I don't have trauma. Trauma comes in all different forms. Trauma could be the fact that your mom looked at you one day and said, you know what? You you really look fat in that in that those jeans. You shouldn't wear jeans. And all of a sudden you're 42 years old and you still can't put a pair of jeans on, you know, and it, it may not feel like it's trauma, but it changed the way you think you act and you feel. And so we go back and repair that. That's that first step in the backstory breakthrough method. Wow. So for your own life, how did you get to this point? Was there your own backstory that you had to deal with? Because I always find that our paths in life are often directed by our own experiences. Was there an experience for you that made you say, I found my breakthrough and I want to help other people find their breakthrough? Absolutely. So, you know, we all have multiple backstories, right? We don't just have one. And so I think the reason I've been attracted to that work is because I had a lot of different backstories that I had to break through. That's why I wanted to be a therapist. And so for me, I uh, originally was born in Trinidad and Tobago. I'm from the islands. And so moving, yes, I'm from the island. So moving over here, I was very young. I was five or six years old. I had a heavy accent. I'm in a classroom. I have no idea what's going on. I'm looking at that lady like, I, I know you're speaking English, but I have no idea. And she can't understand me. And so I have this experience where she brings my mother in and she sits her down and I'm in the classroom and she says, she's a slow learner. Um, I really think she needs to be held back. I don't think she's going to really be able to do this work. And my mother, being from a foreign country, felt like this is a professional. The professional is saying this, so therefore this must be true. And so that really started this journey, this backstory for me, that something was wrong with me. And if you know anything about people from the islands, education and being smart is a really big deal. In my family, it was a big deal. So for me to be labeled as a slow learner was kind of like, like the, the worst thing that could have happened to me. I was teased by my siblings, whether they knew it or not. And so it really impacted me. Now, I will tell you that happened in first grade. By fifth grade, I was in honors and, and gifted and talented classes. So your backstory can also motivate you. It can also push you because I wanted to prove that lady wrong. But what I would see later in my life is that anytime I was in a position, I could be writing an email. 
and I'm overthinking this email. Do I have it grammatically correct? Am I saying something? Because that backstory of, oh, you're not that smart. There it is. It's coming on for me, Curleen. And so I had to learn to do my own work, Joy, if that makes sense to me, to you. And from doing that work and then also working with people and realizing, wait a minute, everybody's dealing with this. We just have different stories. I love that because, you know, you think you're down the line, like you said, it pushed you to be an overachiever, but then you'd find yourself in these moments where that backstory came back, you know, and learning the tools. And that's what you teach people, like giving them the tools to be able to say, hey, it doesn't mean your backstory is never going to pop up in your life because it is. It might pop up again, but it's how you process it. It is how you talk to yourself about it, how you do all of that you know, is really significant. Absolutely. So for me, I can't even stay there long. So when it comes on, it's almost like I have a little smile, like, okay, there you are. You you wanted to visit today. I see you, you're hanging out. And then I quickly am able to rewire. I, I'm quickly able to rewire because I've taught myself. Part of this method that I have is really rewiring your brain, training you how to think differently. Thinking is habitual. And so like with any habit, You have to do something over and over again to train your brain how to behave differently. And so I've been privileged to be exposed to so many great thought leaders in my own work and seeing people to put these pieces together. So I know backstories do revisit, but they don't revisit in the same way when you have tools. So if there's a woman who is listening to the podcast today and she hears and she's thinking, oh my gosh, I know there's some backstories in my life and maybe I do struggle with my self-worth and imposter syndrome. What would be your advice to that person today, to that woman who's listening, who maybe this is kind of like a ding, a a kind of a little bit of a a wake-up call or kind of causes her to kind of question her own self and where she is in her own life? I would say to her that that is a whisper and whispers are there to let us know that there's something bigger for you to do. And so that whisper wouldn't be there unless there was some truth behind it. I would say it's time. Don't waste any more time. Go get some couch time. Um, Psychology Today is a great uh, resource. And so you can Google Psychology Today. They have tons of therapists all over the United States, wherever you're located. And go see someone. Just go say, hey, I am feeling like I'm struggling with this thing. I don't even know what it is. Um, It's a safe place. It's a confidential place. It is against the law for us to share anything you say. And just start your journey. Start your journey right there. Don't let anything stop you from being your best self because we get a limited amount of time on this earth. And to me, I want to show up and I want to show out. And I want everyone listening right now to do that same thing. To show up and show out. I love that. Ladies, let's not let feeling good enough stand in our way any longer. Dr. Neely is offering a four-week virtual masterclass called the Backstory Breakthrough for Anxiety and Self-Esteem. You can learn more by going to neelycounseling.com or check out the show notes. She also has a podcast called Drop the BS. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of The Joy Sutton Show. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, share it with your friends, and leave a review so we can reach even more women from around the globe. And make sure to connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. I would love to hear from you. And always remember, this is your time to shine.